Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author, therapist, and cognitive neuroscience researcher at Rutgers University in Newark, Dr. Nan Wise. Her new book is Why Good Sex Matters, Understanding the Neuroscience of Pleasure for a Smarter, Happier, and More Purpose-Filled Life. Opportunities for pleasure are everywhere, from sex to food to exotic escapes, yet we're becoming increasingly more depressed and anxious. Research shows that many people are having less sex, and those who do have a lot enjoy it less. For more than 30 years, Dr. Nan Wise has worked as a therapist, helping people achieve more satisfying sexual lives. Dr. Nan not only reveals the fundamental problems of how we think about sex and pleasure, but also how we arrived at this problematic relationship. She's contributed her expert opinion to the National Geographic, Washington Post, HuffPost, as well as a regular column for Glamour and a reoccurring blog for Psychology Today, in which she addresses sex sexual health questions from readers. Well, welcome to the show. Great to have you here today, Nan, Dr. Nan. Thank you for having me, Catherine. I really appreciate it. Well, it's, it's I guess, in normal circumstances, it appears, as obviously that you talk about in your book, we're not doing very well when it comes to sex. No matter, even if we have it a lot, it's not that pleasurable, and many of us don't even have sex that often. So given that, we want to talk about that, obviously, your book, is timely because I want to talk about sex in the age of COVID-19 because that's a topic that people want to talk about, but I'm finding they're a little bit reluctant to ask the questions. So let's, yeah. Well, you know, we're really challenged. We were challenged with pleasure in the bigger picture going into the coronavirus. And I actually hope in a way that this um, presents an opportunity for people to reboot themselves because we were pretty miserable before. There's a lot of anxiety and depression is the number one worldwide reason for um, basically disability. So, you know, going into this, we weren't in great shape and I've been trying to encourage people as difficult as this is and we're all certainly very stressed now to see about how we can reboot our pleasure systems. And I kind of wished I had called the book instead of Why Good Sex Matters, Why Core Emotions Matter. Because really what my book looks at is how we are wired by evolution in our brain bodies to have these core emotions that can be hijacking us and can be hijacked by the way that we use our attention primarily the divided attention that we do all the time, you know, with people on their devices, which is contributing to sabotaging how the pleasure system is supposed to work. It's supposed to be an important signal for us about what's good for us, what feels good and what's good for us, and it's gotten really hijacked. And it's gotten hijacked when you talk about the core what are you talking about? Because I'm not sure what, what are we talking about when we're talking about those, you wish, you, well, you named the book a different, um, why? Yeah. What, core, yeah. So what is the core? What are we, t- that gets in the way that hijacks us so that we that's, can't have good sex? That's the perfect question, uh, Catherine, because I never learned about these systems when I was 
I mean, I have four degrees, and I never learned about this in academia, okay, so psychology degrees. What we have are wired in systems in the older part of the brain that are wired in so that we can basically survive. And we share these systems with animals, which is part of the part of the reason why they don't get addressed, because there's a lot of implications. But the basically the systems are in two different categories. We have defensive systems, so obviously we need to have fear to survive. We need to have rage to survive, and then there's this system called panic grief, and these are actual circuits in the brain. So the panic grief system. It's activated when we get separated from our, you know, resources like our relationships. It's the substrate of heartbreak when we lose somebody. It's grief. And these are in our bodies. They're felt in our bodies so that, you know, when you think about it, at the top of our minds, we're really smart and we're different from animals. But many times we can't think ourselves out of these issues. I mean, we all know we should exercise more, eat less, eat healthy foods, do things that are good for us. And yet we seem often to not be able to do those things because those core emotions are kind of bubbling up in our brain bodies and our experience and kind of hijacking us. So I mentioned the defensive system, and we also have the affiliative system, the systems that are wired in. And again, these are actual brain circuits that can be chemically or electrically stimulated. They've been mapped out, including the neurotransmitters and everything. So the affiliative systems are the ones that help us kind of bond with people. The care system, obviously, as I'm cuddling my dog right now, that's activated in me. And that's run by our body's own opioids. So we have opioids in our in these systems that give us that feel-good, satisfying feeling that we get through connection. Another uh, affiliative system is called lust. That system will become flattened when the defensive systems are triggered because obviously for an animal or a person, the last thing we need to worry about when we're trying to survive is sex, when you think about it. And then the final affiliative system that's very underdeveloped in adults is the play system. So the play system is how animals and children learn how to explore the world to learn how to have social skills, learn how to meet their needs, learn how to get food, all of those various things. And the one system that I haven't mentioned that is involved with all of the systems is what's traditionally been thought of as the reward system, and people think about that like the, they think dopamine, reward system. It's about, you know, like what feels good. The story is a lot more complicated than that. The dopamine system gets our attention and is supposed to function with the other systems so that we can get our needs met. However, our dopamine systems are hijacked by the way that we use our attention, the divided attention. And that, so when are that you saying, flat, I want to put this kind of into layman's terms because so that we can understand sure. it, but uh, given that's the scientific way in which our brains work, 
How are we sabotaging? I think you mentioned the word lust. I'll mention it. We are sabotaging our lust so that we aren't having good sex. And that, yeah, yeah, and good sex does matter. So let's talk about how we can not do that. I mean, what do we do? Why are we doing it? I guess, number one, uh, in the context of our culture. And number two, how can we not sabotage our lust? And then, of course, we have this overlying pandemic and we're supposed to be having sex, you know, in, in the midst of <laughs> whether in, with our family, with our grandmothers there. I mean, uh, we have to get really practical. We want some really practical suggestions from you. Thank you for redirecting me. Yes, <laughs> we are not paying attention physically to the people in the room. This is even before the pandemic. People are plugged into their devices, so they're not literally paying attention. And what we're hungry for, even though we think that we want to, like, get, you know, the entertainment on the Internet or the the likes on social media or the information that's coming at us, what we're really hungry for, Catherine, is the actual satisfying connection with another human being face-to-face and when possible, flesh to flesh. So it may, people who are not with their uh, loved ones, their partners now, can still work on connection by actually paying attention to each other when they speak on the phone or actually when they're FaceTiming or doing some kind of virtual connection. So what can we do? We can recognize that we need to harness attention and remember that we have bodies, so a couple of things I put on my website and on my, and my, uh, on my channel for YouTube is one of the things that we can do is unplug from the devices and get outside into the sunshine. And the reason why the sunshine is so important is that it, it goes directly from our eye to the hypothalamus, which runs everything. It runs our relationship with sex. It runs, eat, it runs eating, sleeping, and everything. Americans are largely unhealthy. We don't move our bodies enough. We overeat. We're eating for pleasure, we're, but it's not a healthy hedonism. So my point is sex is healthy hedonism, especially if you have sex with somebody who you like and who likes you. In a so way how do you have mindful? I actually went on to uh, one of the government websites here at New York State, and also I think it was uh, CDC, and they're actually very specific about what kind of safe sex during this time, which could be phone sex, which could be masturbation, which could be uh, create uh, different creative ways of having sex with actually not being there with somebody because it's an impossible. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. Which, yeah. How I kind of approach this with people is we kind of think of sex naturally. We think about sex with our genitals and friction and orgasms and all of that. And when you expand the notion of sex to include what we're more hungry for is really good connection with our partners. And good connection means that we are listening to each other that we are looking at each other. If we can't do it in real life, we can do it over a virtual platform, that we are really speaking about how we're feeling. I say, I have exercises for couples to enhance our ability to connect 
Because people are usually like ships that pass in the night. They're not really paying good attention. Of course, we pay attention in new relationships because all of the the chemistry is is getting is hijacking our attention. So when we think that we're hungry for sex, what we're really hungry for is more communion and connection, and that can be very aroused by really learning about their fears and fantasies, about what they really think. Go to the scary places with each other. You know, talk about how you really, really, really think, feel, what you really want, what your big dreams are, your regrets. When we share ourselves more fully, what we do is we enhance what what I call sexual potential, which is lifelong. It doesn't mean that we have to give up sex because our bodies don't look like they used to or that it's a little harder to find our orgasms, perhaps. It's really about being turned on by life, being turned on by connecting, by getting... So these good connections that you're talking about, I think one of the things that uh, before we had to, we were doing physical distancing from the rest of the world, our excuses for not having sex, where we don't have enough time because we're out and about and working and kids and activities. Now we do have the opportunity actually to do what you're talking about, good connections. You actually can sit there and look at your partner, whomever that is, and get and and try to establish these we have time to do that establish these deep connections absolutely and we have a good reason to do it because when we're all sharing this really um very unprecedented scary experience of basically um having life as we've known it interrupted it's a great time to reboot ourselves reboot our relationships Start to connect with simple, you know, habits that will set us up beyond this challenge with the coronavirus to have more joy and pleasure in our lives. And the point that I make, I've had a long battle myself with anxiety. It runs in my family, and I talk in the introduction in my book about my big fat first panic attack. One of the things that I've had to learn myself is how to harness my nervous system so that I can calm it, but also recognizing that pleasure is not a luxury. It's a necessity. All of our stress-related illnesses, depression, anxiety, you name it, one of the main symptoms of those disorders is the inability to experience, you know, like everyday pleasures in a way that satisfies. The technical term for that is anhedonia. That's a symptom without pleasure. So we have it backwards. We have a real love-hate relationship with sex and pleasure in our country. I call us a lewd, prude nation. So we're obsessed with sex and, we, you know, we, we have all sorts of, you know, sexual, you know, stimuli floating out in the Internet and all of this other stuff. But meanwhile, we're very conflicted about sex and pleasure. We have I would a say really some of that conflict time. comes from uh, the... We are conflicted about that pleasure. I think that part of it comes from the fear of intimacy, and maybe this is also what you're talking about. Absolutely. You know what I think people are more afraid of than pain is the intensity that we can have of pleasure and joy when we really connect with another human being, and we can feel really out of control. 
people want to feel control. That's a big issue for human beings. And although we think we're afraid of pain, which we certainly are, I think that a lot of people have, you know, they've become, they don't have a map for how to be really comfortable with the vulnerability and the extreme feelings that can come with being intimate, both very big feelings of pleasure and also feeling very much at effect of each other with the potential of loss. Well, I think now that we're stuck together in maybe one room in some cases, maybe a few rooms in other cases, we don't have to worry about the other person leaving because they have to stay by law. Right, they got to stay, yeah. It's an opportunity, right? We need to learn how to communicate more effectively with each other so that we really listen. You know, one of the things that happens is, you know, I find with couples, a lot of their issues kind of evaporate. Two things they need to learn, how to tolerate their feelings, you know, like to have the feelings and not rush into trying to fix them or, you know, spend money to get rid of them or do whatever we do to distract ourselves. And the other thing is to tolerate our partner's feelings. And to stay connected and to really listen and listen not to change somebody's minds or to fix something or to make them feel better or whatever our agenda might be, but to simply be present too and really, really hear the partner in a way that they hear themselves more deeply. Dr. Nan, one of the things that you've done in your book, you've given real examples of extraordinary lovers. Let's, I love to hear the, who are those extraordinary lovers? Give us an example of who they are and how they were able to become extraordinary lovers. Well, for women, one of the big things was learning to love their bodies. So I had in my participants in my research, the ladies who came in and donated orgasms for science, no easy feet, and a scanner, they ranged in age from 24 to 74. So, and these were women who were not necessarily so, always so comfortable with their sexuality or their pleasure. They made it a priority to learn. And a lot of them learned through how important it was to find your body as a, pa- as a place of pleasure instead of critiquing your body or feeling like your body is not good enough. And for a lot of them, it was really about the courage of exploring themselves as separate human beings from their relationships. Like one young, one lady, one woman in her 40s took a gap year and she and her husband have been together since their late teens And they had children that were, you know, grown already. And she never really had time to explore herself. And he said, go off and go take a world tour. Do the gap year. I'll hold down the fort. So she actually came and donated an orgasm during, and she was not from the States during her her gap year. So she learned how to be apart from her relationship as well as being a part of and when you say donating her orgasm, what do you mean? They, women came to my lab and went into an fMRI scanner, which is like a whole body scanner for the brain. You have your whole body's in it, basically, up into your at the the top of your you know sort of hips. And they masturbated themselves into orgasm, and they had a partner masturbate them into orgasm. So they had basically, Two orgasms during one um, time, one one 
long scan. So they, I studied how the brain reacted, reacts to sexual stimulation and how the brain reacts to orgasm. So these women who came in were exceptionally amazing women. And from the people I have learned also in my practice and also from, you know, the years of being a sex therapist and, and learning all about what makes for good sex, People who develop sexual potential, who become extraordinary lovers, they learn how to really connect with their partners. To re- what they say makes for great sex, and I said good sex because great sex means like we have to strive. So what makes for lifelong good sex is not, you know, what happens with our bodies as much as how we can use our minds, which are the most potent sexual organ of all to really connect, to really experience our partner. And that's something we can do, Pastor, until the day that we die. We can really connect with do you think that oh, women have a really, difficult, more of a difficult time, for instance, first, because what I hear you saying is you have to accept your own body. You have to accept yourself mm-hmm. before you're going to be able to have good sex. Yeah. And I think women tend to be more critical of their bodies, of their looks. Men don't usually, in order to have good sex, now you can correct me, they tend to like, that's not an issue. <laughs> that, you know, whether... No, what's you their know. issue is they get obsessed with their penises functioning. Yeah. So for so, women, what gets in the way is how their bodies look, and for men, it's fear about their penises not cooperating. They, so their fear is but not I'm, having an erection or sustaining an erection, and that's their issue, which is, yeah... That's their issue is the, is the mechanics of, you know, getting the penis to cooperate. But what I do think makes sex harder for women than men in general is the double standard. So even in this day and age, we, you know, we shame women for being too sexual. And also a big issue that I found in my practice where women are having trouble finding their orgasms is because of training by religion or culture, women don't feel as comfortable exploring their own bodies and masturbating. And I think that's also comes from women feeling that there are sex objects. They're supposed to be like, you know, passive about their own sexuality. So when women don't learn how to masturbate, they're not laying down, you know, what I call the orgasm pathways, the connections between the genitals and the brain through the nervous system that need to strengthen for us to be able to find our orgasms. So since you, you study people, what, since you've been studying women, you know, real what from their twenties to their seventies, do you notice a difference? I mean, I would assume that there may be cultural differences, but there are also differences in age. Like women in their twenties uh, have have things changed, I guess, for maybe the better in terms of not being ashamed of their bodies. Women in their twenties and thirties, as opposed to maybe women in their sixties and seventies, uh, that women well, you, feel, that- yeah. I think that's a great question. We don't see anything in terms of brain responses because it's a, it's not a, we really can't pick up on that in the um, with the experiments. But I do know that women, as they age, can go in one of two directions. One is they can actually kind of feel better about themselves and more comfortable in their own skin, even if the bodies don't look as good when you know objectively for them. They can be more comfortable and love their bodies more and love sharing their bodies 
and develop more confidence about themselves and, and also more practice, like really being sexual actually enhances our ability because the, you know, the, we say that the neurons, the brain cells that fire together, wire together, the more that your nervous system kind of gets used in the general to the brain connection, the better it works. And young women, I think, have to grapple with, even if we can objectively say, like, you know, young women, their bodies are more like the cultural ideal, they don't feel that. So no matter, and they also, they're, they're ambivalent about their sexuality because on the one hand, they're encouraged to be sexual, but I hear this from college students all the time, that there's a big difference in how people... Young people talk about women who have more sexual partners. They call that a body count in a way that's very negative. So we still have this double standard about women, and women are supposed to be kind of sex objects. Men are supposed to be success objects. So, you know, we have different challenges, men and women. I think we need to be more compassionate and understanding with ourselves and each other. Yeah, I think that's really the key, more compassionate about ourselves and about each other. And I think more education, education, education. I think, you know, you're talking about young men, at least, and young women. The young women that I talk to very often will talk about how young men really don't have even a sense of how a woman's body functions. I think it's a little more complex than the male body. Yeah. Simpler. Uh, It's out there. Uh, So uh, I, I think... That's. I think that comes into play. I, don't, I mean, I, I'm not sure that. Um, I, I guess I'm asking you the question, but at least that's the feedback that I get from some of these younger women. Absolutely, and you know, it's no surprise because there's still debates in the literature about female anatomy. I, when I published a paper in 2011, it was the first time that that we systematically map the connections between female, the different parts of female genitals to the brain. So there are these big gaps in the literature about sex, and people are debating, is there a G-spot? And a lot of people, we just don't get the greatest education about sex. It's definitely, like, focused on negative stuff and disease prevention rather than promoting sexual pleasure. And the other piece of it is, you know, people, the kids are not as socially comfortable because they're not interacting in the same rough and tumble play that younger generations did. Kids are not learning social skills enough to be, you know, the the generation, the, the most recent generation, the natives, the IGEN generation, they're just not having sex to, uh, very often at all. And I think a big part of it is that their social skills are somewhat lacking, that they just don't know how to, to mate and relate so yeah. they don't know how to negotiate in, in person. We have one minute left. Yeah. So much more to talk about. But Why Good Sex Matters is Nan Wise's new book, Dr. Nan Wise, Why Good Sex Matters website we can go to. So people can obviously read the bit, book, get more information and continue the conversation. Sure. Yes, my website is AskDrNan.com. The doctor is spelled out with all the letters. And I also have a YouTube channel that I'm posting all sorts of video content to help people thrive and survive through the coronavirus challenge. I offer free 15-minute consults people can book 
if they want to talk to me about something about sex, love, relationships, mood, anything like that. So what do we do? How do we get to it? We have 30 seconds left. Right on my website. You just go to ask. If you go to askdrnan.com, you can book a 15-minute free consult with me right there. You can read all of my articles. You can find access to my YouTube channel. You can send me questions. And I have the first uh, chapter of the book, the, the intro to the book there where people can read and the link to buy the book. And Terrific. Book, Thank you so version. much for being on the show today because uh, there are going to be a lot of people Thanks who are going to tune into your YouTube channel. Dr. Nan Wise, thank I you. So. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 